Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer. Buddha at the Gas Pump is an ongoing series of interviews with spiritually awakening people. There have been about 340 of them now at this taping, and um, if this is new to you and you'd like to check out some of the other ones, go to batgap.com, B-A-T-G-A-P, and you'll see them all organized in various ways under the past interviews menu. And I always say this, it's my little NPR thing, that there's also a, a donate button there, and it's on the basis of support from appreciative listeners and viewers that this whole thing is made possible. My guest today is Suzanne Giesman. Suzanne is the author of 11 books, an, an inspirational speaker, metaphysical teacher, and evidence-based medium. That phrase is significant. We'll be talking about that. She's a messenger of hope who captivates audiences as she brings love, healing, and comfort through her work. Suzanne's gift of communication with those on the other side brings stunning evidence of life after death, as well as validating her teaching about the purpose of life, the nature of reality, and attuning to higher consciousness. Her work has been recognized as highly credible by afterlife researcher Dr. Gary Schwartz, PhD, and best-selling author Dr. Wayne Dyer. Have you been in touch with Wayne since he died? I have, Rick. Yes, I have, with evidence. Okay, maybe we can talk about that. Suzanne is a retired U.S. Navy commander. She served as a commanding officer, as special assistant to the chief of naval operations, and as aide to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff on 9-11. In addition to earning the Defense Distinguished Service Medal, she has a master's degree in national security affairs and taught political science at the U.S. Naval Academy. Her unexpected and fascinating career transformation to her current work is the subject of the documentary Messages of Hope, which has been featured at several film festivals, including the Awakened World Film Festival, sponsored by the Association for Global New Thought. So w welcome, and thanks for doing this. Thank you. It's such an honor to be here. Had you ever heard of this show before we got in touch oh, with you? Oh, yes, I've heard of you. Okay, <laughs> when, uh, when you reached out to me, uh, it was just a nod from spirit. So grateful. Good. And I should mention, just because it's sort of interesting, that you and your husband are very itinerant. You've spent years living on a 46-foot sailboat and sailing it all over the place. You spend, it seems like, about half of your time traveling around the country in a big RV, which you are doing at the moment. You happen to be in Tulsa, Oklahoma at the moment, but you live in Florida. So you're like... That's right. Just uh, the wanderlust bug hit and off we go. But it's, it's so perfect for my work now because it allows me to touch so many more people personally. Yeah, that's cool. There's another guy I interviewed, you, you may not even know him, named Michael Dowd. He and his wife, Connie Barlow, are on the road constantly in a similar way, <clears throat> just traveling around speaking. They don't actually have a physical home. They just sort of, but, you know, they're in their 50s and 60s, but they're just doing this, and it, it's, it's kind of a neat lifestyle. It's a great <clears throat> lifestyle, especially when you have two little dachshunds like we do. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to introduce you to our dog later. Here's a question for starters. First of all, the most popular interview I ever did was with, in terms of views, was with Daryl Anka, who channels an entity named Bashar. People are very fascinated with mediums and healers and channelers and things like that. They seem to be very popular. But sometimes you get the sense that that fascination resides in an expectation that this person is going to do something for me rather than me having to do the work myself, you know, do something for myself, like sit and meditate every day or some sort of spiritual discipline. Has that thought ever occurred to you? Have you run into that idea? Oh, it has so occurred to me, Rick, that there is no magic pill for spiritual awakening. In fact, it's what spurred me to create one of my workshops called Awaken Living 301, the advanced course, mm -hmm. because so many people attend my workshops or, or listen to a few of my channelings and think, oh, 
I'm going to instantly awaken. And the message of that workshop is this takes a commitment. This takes work. And you have to be committed to the daily practice of shifting your identity to the greater reality for changes to take place. You have to be willing to do the work on yourself to clear out the garbage that's blocking you from a greater connection. I want to tell you why when you mentioned Daryl's video, why you got my attention, because I was looking through your website and when I saw that he had the highest number of views, it was a wake up call for me because I have been very hesitant to come out of the closet as a channeler. It's the most woo-woo thing I do. But when I do it for audiences, the effect on them is so huge. They are changed energetically. I can feel it. And yet I've been hesitant to, to say publicly, I channel. And when I saw that the person who channels draws the most interest, I, I heard, what are you waiting for? What are you afraid of? So I'm coming out of the box right here. Yes, I channel higher entities. And I just need to stand up to that. Well, I want to ask you a lot of questions about that and a lot of, about a lot of other things. And it looks like we have quite a few people on, people on live already who will be asking questions. But before we do that, let's, let's get into your background a little bit more. You know, I read some things in your, in your basic bio that give us a sense of what your background was professionally, but we didn't yet learn how and why you made this shift to what you're doing now. Well, it was the last thing I expected. A lot of people, when they hear about me, when they meet me, they don't realize that I didn't always have this ability. I had no idea my entire adult life until I was 44 years old that there was a greater reality, and certainly not that I could tap into it. But I heard you no. say that even when you were in the Navy, you had this sort of surreptitious interest in oh, meta metaphysical true. things. You'd always be sort of sneaking oh, off yeah. to metaphysical bookstores and stuff. That's true. I had an interest, and I see now why that was. It kind of laid the foundation that, okay, this is possible, but I never thought it was possible for me. Certainly drawn to it for years and years. And you're right, dude. I'd be in uniform going into a New Age bookstore looking around. <laughs> thinking, Who, why is she in here? But uh, like a lot of people, it was a personal tragedy that led me to that shift. Yeah. Obviously, if people read your books and all, they can learn the details of that. But it would be good to sort of run through it in brief, if you wish, just to sort of give people a sense of, you know. I will. Yeah, it, it was two, two events. The first one was 9-11. I was the aide to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs on that day, and we were in the last aircraft in U.S. airspace. On our way to England, the chairman was going to be knighted by Queen Elizabeth later that week. I mean, I was so looking forward to that, and we never got there. We, I went up to the pilot three hours out over the Atlantic and said, take us back to Washington. Mm. And he said, Commander, our flight path is going to take us right over Manhattan. So those of us on that aircraft were the, the only people to see New York City, the Burning Trade Center Towers, and the Burning Pentagon with our own eyes on that day. Very eye-opening for me to, to be stepping over jet engine pieces on the grass that day and start to ask why were so many people in the wrong place at the wrong time. I started asking those deep spiritual questions and after a few months just kind of put that to the side and got on with normal living. But I, I tell people that life has a way of catching up with us. The universe has a way of making sure we learn the lessons we came here to learn. And there's no doubt in my mind that I was meant to follow this path. Unfortunately, it came with a very high price. It was uh, 2006 when my husband and I had sailed across the Atlantic, enjoying our retired life together in the Mediterranean. 
and we got that phone call that no parent ever wants to get. And that was that my husband's daughter, Susan, a sergeant in the Marine Corps, had been crossing the flight line and was struck out of the blue by a bolt of lightning and killed. It was a double tragedy for our family because she was six months pregnant at the time uh, with our only grandchild. So happily, I can report that now Susan helps me in all of my readings. It took me years to acknowledge that she has been here. And boy, let me tell you, once I acknowledge it, she gave me a talking to. <laughs> I'm like, why what, haven't you paid attention? What took you so long? Yeah. yeah, exactly. What took you so long? And now we enjoy wonderful conversations together. That's great. Okay, so this tragedy happened, and, and you really wanted to know, sort of made a lot of questions very urgent in your mind, and you started going to mediums, right? And Not exactly. Not exactly? The, the, very, the most important fact here in my transformation is that the week she passed, I started meditating, and I had never meditated before. Oh. But from that reading that I had done, I had the hope that it was true what I'd read, that there is a spirit in each of us and that it survives death. And from that reading, I knew that if Susan's spirit has survived her death, then I needed to meditate to try to connect with her. And that is what led me to my awakening. But it was a good, oh, probably nine months till I was able to drag my husband to a medium. I had to find somebody that I knew was the real deal before I took him because I knew I would get one shot He's a retired destroyer captain, even more left brain and by the book than I am. And I knew that if we got a medium who gave us airy-fairy messages that didn't point to his daughter, he'd never go with me again. So spirit must have been hard at work because we got a great medium first time who gave us irrefutable evidence that Susan was right there in the room with us. And the rest is history. And maybe in the course of this conversation, we'll hear some stories from you about these types of irrefutable evidence because you know many of them are really hard to explain in any other way than you know this is you're actually connecting with the person there's no way you could have known all this stuff and it's kind of interesting in reading your story also that you know you in a way were your own best skeptic because you yeah. were you didn't just sort of gullibly you know, walk into all this and accept anything that anybody said to you, you kind of kept scrutinizing and asking questions and demanding something specific and concrete. And I still do. I think that open-minded skepticism is very important for anybody in any endeavor when you're dealing with the greater reality. And so every reading I give, I question myself. Is this my imagination? Where's the evidence? How does it feel? Because there's not always evidence in messages, but I weigh it against what I'm feeling, it's constantly at work, that, that just checking, but now total trust. It's the evidence that has led me to this point of trusting, but still testing. Yeah. When I did that interview with Daryl Anka, we got into a little bit of an interesting discussion about the difference between cynicism and skepticism. Oh. And we defined cynicism as a sort of a denial of things because they didn't fit into one's paradigm, one's, one's way of seeing the world, and, you know, oh, this couldn't possibly be true because blah, blah. Whereas skepticism, you, you, you're, you're at liberty to doubt and question, and, you know, you don't have to take everything hook, line, and sinker, but you're open to the possibility that your perspective may not be <laughs> the be-all and end-all, may not be all-inclusive. So there's a sort of an open-mindedness and a willingness to investigate and, and look at evidence and so on. You, you just said the word cynicism, and I felt the energy drop. Huh. But skepticism can go either way. It's yeah. a healthy thing. 
Oh, definitely. Yeah, and it's a, we could say a scientific thing. I like the scientific aspect of this because if when you get down to it, there's a huge scientific aspect of a medium's work. It's all about tuning into higher frequencies. So just to have, to have a bit more of the biographical background, take us through a few of the stages, you know, how, of how you actually went from this initial interest in meeting sure. with mediums and so on to actually being one yourself. Yes. Well, after I had this reading with the medium who brought through Susan and her baby boy so evidentially, my whole worldview shifted. It took me days to process, you mean she really is here? And then I knew from the comfort that that brought me, I had to write a book about this because I had already written several books. So I didn't want a dry book on mediumship. And I was gifted with the permission of wonderful medium Anne Gaiman of writing her biography. That became my Hay House book, The Priest and the Medium. And after I wrote that, another medium, Janet Nohavik, approached me and asked me if I would write her story. Hers is great also because she's a former Catholic nun who's now an evidential medium. So when you're going to write somebody's biography, you need to learn all about them. So I attended Janet's class on mediumship just to study her with no idea that she was going to pull me to the front of the class and say, you can do this too. And there is a spirit standing here. What do you sense? I mean, Rick, I could have killed her. You know, <laughs> the Navy officer and me, when I step before a group, I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to know what I'm going to say. And she's put me on the spot and says, bring through a spirit. I don't, I'm not a medium. What do you mean bring through a spirit? But I trusted her. And I believed that if she said there's somebody there and I could do it, then she wouldn't put me on the spot like that. So belief is the number one key for anybody. And so I just closed my eyes to see what I sensed. And I know now that two years of meditation leading up to that moment allowed me when I closed my eyes to sense that subtle presence of this man that was standing there. And I brought through facts about this spirit that I didn't even trust in my own mind was there, but he must have worked really hard to get through my skepticism because I said, well, it's a man. He did, I sensed the age 70. He was an engineer and I hear cancer thinking I'm making all this up. And this girl in the class raises her hand and said, my dad was an engineer. He died at 70 of cancer. And I'm like, where did that come from? Mm. And then Janet pushed me a little further. She said, what else do you sense? I got a few more things. And I'm like, I'm ready to sit down. I was so uncomfortable. And she said, push yourself harder. So I said, okay. And I tuned in and I said, well, he's showing me a pair of black patent leather shoes. And I hear the word twinkle toes. And this girl said, my dad was a ballroom dancer. And my mom always called him twinkle toes. <laughs> that was the start for me. There was no turning back from then on. It's like, you mean I really can do this now? What a gift. I knew the comfort and the healing that that medium gave me when we went and she brought our th Susan through. I thought if I can do this for even one other person, I could change their life. And I just dove in head first and I haven't come up for air yet. <laughs> I ended up uh, studying through all of Janet's courses, I went to study with the best mediums in the world at Engl in England at the Arthur Finley College of Psychic Sciences where they stress getting evidence. And um, spirits are playing with the lights in here. I love this. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed the light going out. I just haven't stopped learning since then. I, I'm just constantly in a process of raising my energy and attunement to see how good we can get that connection. That's great. A lot of people who are on a spiritual path would consider what you do to be sort of tangential. 
some points I'll get into with you as we as we go along. Like they might consider it a distraction or not really germane to enlightenment, you know, just getting right down to the nitty-gritty reality of life. And there are many people, I'm, I, for instance, who have been meditating for something like 48 years, who've never had any sort of medium-type experiences, nor have I ever really had an inclination to have them. You know, what would you say to such people, as I just mentioned, and am I missing out on something, or is this more like a, per, a personal proclivity or talent that not everybody would be able to develop or even want to develop or need to develop because maybe it's, it's just a, a particular skill, you know, which doesn't have to be universal in order for spiritual uh, evolution and enlightenment to take place? Well, the Ann Gaiman, whose story I wrote, said that everybody has this ability, but it's like a musician. Not everybody is a Mozart. Anybody can learn to play the piano, but it, if you're not a born musical genius, it depends on how much of a desire you have to have develop that ability. And for that reason, I feel it's a calling. Yeah. It's certainly once that ability awakened in me, when I became aware of it, aware of the healing ability that it has, it's become, I don't want to use the word obsession, but my husband might say it is. It's an all-encompassing desire that I have to improve this ability. So most of us have 10 fingers, but we're not all going to become concert pianists, and we don't all need to become concert pianists. We, we may have other callings, other skills, other proclivities, right? Exactly. Yeah. Another perennial debate I get into with people, and I just got into it last week with the guy I interviewed, J.C. Teft, whom I like very much. There are people who say, well, you know, ultimately there is no personal self. When you really get right down to it, it's just universal being. And the, the sense that we are an individual is, is erroneous. That's what constitutes ignorance. And then they take the leap of logic. Well, that being the case, and some of them feel this experientially, others it's more intellectual, but that being the case, how could there be reincarnation? You know, that's just a you're afraid of dying and so you imagine this thing of you know you're going to continue to exist once the body dies and so on they say no it's more like a drop falls into the ocean and it no longer exists as a drop it just becomes the ocean again and that individuality never arises once more in the same form you know where i'm going with this i do know where you're going and i was I have just in the last couple of months been given the most incredible lessons from spirit to help me finally integrate and understand that re there really is only one mind. I've been saying it, I understood it at an intellectual level, but now at a visceral letter level, I know there is only spirit, there's only universe, and, and I and all of us are the one. But you use that raindrop analogy, and the rain comes down, but it doesn't stay down. It's a constant cycle. It does go round and round. And so consciousness does individuate into limitless aspects of itself. It's like we're all having a conversation with ourselves for the learning. It's a self-informing system that we're part of. So we have these ongoing experiences of manifestation. It's, it's play, it's, it's interaction. Without that, there's no purpose in even manifesting. I could go on and on about that, but I completely get what you're saying and I agree with it. Well, they say that if you take a, a glass full of ocean water, here's a glass, they take, you take a glass full of ocean water and then you dump it back into the ocean, then you go anywhere in the world in, let's say, 10 years and take another glass full of ocean water, you're going to have at least 100 molecules that were in the original glass. That's how numerous molecules are and it all sort of spreads around, you know, if given enough time. So. The question is, do we as individual souls 
retain some sort of integrity or identity that continues on and on? Or is it more like when we die, the individual soul sort of merges with the universal consciousness, and then maybe another individual soul comes out, but it's more like taking that glass 10 years later in the ocean. It just takes something. And I think it's the latter. And I have to tell you that before I got into this, I didn't even believe in reincarnation, but it's through channeling my group of guides called Sanaya that I've learned so much. So I'm giving you an answer now that I learned from them, mm-hmm. and it feels right, so that's why I share it with confidence, that I would go with the analogy of the glass of water and molecules from... This is so funny, playing with the lights here. <laughs> How it was explained to me is that spirit is like wispy smoke, and you have an incarnation, and you take on a scent that becomes your scent. Say it's like hickory smoke. And then when you pass, you add that scent to the whole. But then you decide, well, we're going to have another go at this life. And a bit of that wispiness breaks off and comes down now and takes on another scent, maybe like mesquite scent. And that's how some people say, well, if if my loved one reincarnates, how are you going to tune into them if they've already reincarnated? Well, it's because I tune into the sea of all possibilities, the entire cloud of smoke, and I can sense that hickory smoke, even though an aspect of your loved one is now down here having an experience as mesquite. You get it? (laughs) Or have I totally lost you? No, I get it, but I still have a question about it, and that is that I as Rick Archer, you as Suzanne, traditional scriptures and and metaphysical sources would say that we have been through many lifetimes. Maybe we were a farmer in India, or we were a soldier in Persia, or we were this, that, and the other thing. Now we're having this life. And that the purpose of all these lifetimes is some sort of continuing evolution of the soul to higher and higher expressions. When I tune into spirits, I can immediately tell if this was a young soul or an old soul. You know them when you meet them. It's the level, the vibration of love that they radiate. Yeah. So there, there's definitely something to that, these ongoing cycles, like the rain cycles of coming back to, until we get it. So many people think that you pass to the other side and you're immediately angelic and spiritual and loving. Wrong. I tell people, if you're grumpy here, when you get to the other side, you're going to still be grumpy and I'm going to sense that. So how do you want to be felt by a medium if you come back from the other side? So what if you're a murderer here? Do you pass to the other side and start murdering people over there? No, no, no. I mean, I think, to take a more extreme gonna... example of grumpy. Sure. You know? I would say there are safeguards in place. I don't believe in hell, but I do believe that you go to the level that you earn here. It's completely a loving environment on the other side. You're surrounded by loving helpers to help you see and feel the effect that your actions here had on others. But certainly, it would be the soul's choice with a group when your soul is ready to come back. There would be a lot of learning and growth that would have to take place on the other side before somebody like that came back for another chance. So a minute ago, what you were saying kind of sounded like you know, you do drop the glass of water in the ocean and it just merges with all the water and doesn't retain it, you know, any kind of um, integrity of the original glass. It's just all but there are gr- homogenized. It's, one, it's groupings. It's, there are levels. It's like I said, like the, those of a lower vibration would kind of be held at a certain level. So it, in one way, I see it as one big cloud of smoke, but in another way, there's, it's vibration, so it's segmented. 
Okay, so is it fair to say then that it's simultaneously all one, but also individuated, and the, indivi yes. the individual yeah. expressions don't lose their integrity, and yet ultimately, essentially, if we want to get right down to it, it's all one. Yes, it's hugely important to understand that aspect because we as humans think in this either-or mentality, right. but it's both, and we are both human and spirit, so we don't have to be so rigid in thinking it's either this or that. It can be all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I'm laughing is I was just joking with somebody the other day about the, the certs commercials. It's a candy mint. It's a breath mint. No, you're both right. And he said, you have to be over 65 to get that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Irene wrote out a question. Just to ask Susan to give some examples of, from her experience of reincarnation or that life does continue after death. Okay. I'll just repeat that because it wasn't very loud on the mic. She's just saying, give some examples that kind of evidence for reincarnation or that life continues after death. Right. Uh, some people want to know about their past lives in readings, and I've stayed away from that because I've thought, well, I'm all about the evidence. I need the evidence so that I trust that I'm not giving them false information. That's very important to me to, to have integrity in the work. And so I have stayed away from that, but there have been several readings where suddenly I'm aware of a past life of a client and one recent one was I told a woman that uh, she wanted to take her own life. I can't remember the details, but it was details from a past life in which suicide came up and how she had harmed someone and that she was going to repeat certain cycles here until she dealt with that. Like a the habit. Point, the point here was that the issue that came up in the past life was exactly an issue that woman was dealing with currently that she had not yet shared with me. So I didn't know that about her, yet it came up in relation to a past life. So I don't have tons of stories of this to share with you now, unlike other topics we could talk about mm -hmm. today. Mostly it's just a knowing from what my guides have shared with me that we do go round and round. My guide has shown me that uh, a past life that we shared together, and I wouldn't have believed it, except he gave me facts of our life together in Russia. My husband was laughing at me. We looked it up online. It wasn't a famous figure, but he was somebody that worked for a famous figure. We looked it up. You should have seen my husband's eyes grow big when these facts, we found them online. And uh, oh, yeah. pretty cool stuff. And there's TV shows like that where these little kids remember all sorts of minute details about oh, yes. a previous life and they start saying all this stuff and sometimes even speaking in other languages and so on. And then their parents take them to the town where they you know, said they had lived and they know the people and they know this and that. Yes. You know, there's all sorts of evidence like that. Yes. I haven't read all of your books. I've read a fair portion of a couple of them. Do you ever get or even see detailed descriptions of the so-called other side, the way Michael Newton does, for instance, with his, um, you know, life between life uh, clients whom he hypnotizes back to the point w between lives where they describe in great detail what it's actually like there. Well, I'll tell you, up until about a year and a half ago, I got bits and pieces. Mm -hmm. People were asking me and I didn't get much. And then I went to a new level in my ability. I had an, another opening thanks to trusting this being who came to me to talk to me. And once I trusted her, 
It was Kuan Yin, by the way. I thought, how can Kuan Yin speak to me? This is one of those woo-woo things. You see what I'm constantly fighting against in myself. But she brought me evidence that it was her, things about her that I couldn't possibly have known. Once I trusted that, she said she was here to clear away my fears, to clear away my blocks. Well, within days, I got this incredible download about what life in the afterlife is like. Mm -hmm. And it was addressed in response to questions from Dr. Kenneth Ring. He's one of the leading experts in near-death experiences. He wrote a book called Lessons from the Light. And he had asked me, what's life on the other side like? And I responded, well, I really don't know because I hadn't trusted what was being given to me. Well, suddenly, down comes this download. For an hour and 12 minutes, I wrote and wrote and wrote this solid stream from my guides of what life on the other side is like. I sent it to him and Dr. Kenneth Ring, who's read thousands of accounts, said it was the most amazing document he has ever read addressed to him. And he gave me permission to put it on my website. It's right on the homepage right now. And, and to me, it feels very profound and very truthful of what we can expect on the other side. Huh. Well, people can read it on your homepage, but tell us a few tidbits from it. Just for now. Well, just again, that there are various levels. And so if you are not particularly, have not particularly been into the spiritual path when you're here, you're very much tied to the earth and focused on material things, then your initial experience on the other side is going to be very earthly. You'll be surrounded by homes and things. You'll feel like you're eating. You'll be golfing if you love to golf. You just do all the things that were fun for you. You'll create instantly and start to understand, oh my goodness, I only need to have a thought of something and it happens. I always wanted to go to Spain. Oh, I'm there. You know, you just you'll find out that you create and it says you always wanted to fly a plane. Well, suddenly you're flying a plane and then you realize that you don't need the plane at all. And as this sinks in, then you realize you don't need this body at all. And before you know it, you realize that all this love around you is who and what you really are. And you start to grow even more. And then you realize, maybe I don't need that connection. My loved ones will still be with me in spirit. And you shed the earthly things and you rise and you just keep rising. And, and then you decide, well, you know, I know it was painful while I was back there on earth, but Maybe if I go back, I can add to the whole a little more. It might be worth it for the whole to go back and do that again. So you reincarnate and you just continue that cycle. But when you come back the next time, maybe you won't have to eat and play golf on the other side. Maybe you go straight to having no body and you just keep going through those cycles till you say, I've had enough of that earthly life. Now maybe I'll be a spirit guide and help one of those poor earthlings get through their life without stumbling so much. And that becomes your task on the other side. And then after you've served for, as a spirit guide for a while, then you just keep rising and going ever higher. Each of us growing and growing as aspects of consciousness. Hmm. You say that you know one comes back because one feels like maybe I can add to the whole. But what if somebody comes back, let's say, with fetal alcohol syndrome or in some really dire circumstances? Um, natural question would be, well, how are they adding to the whole by getting into well, a they, life like that? Oh, my gosh. Because... I would think that it was a more advanced soul that went into a body that was had the probability of having fetal alcohol syndrome. The soul, the spirit is already perfect. It's already whole. It is love. And so they're going to go into that body knowing that the mother is an alcoholic and that there is a high probability that the physical body will be affected. But by going into that body, those around my spirit are going to have the opportunity to experience love, to learn patience, to learn understanding, to learn compassion. So it's a sacrifice that the soul makes 
going into that body. It would come into a perfect body, not so much challenge for those around, you see? Yeah. And how about people that come in and start doing really bad stuff? Would they just be very confused souls, would you say? That's it's not a, like they've come in for some altruistic purpose, or if they have, they've totally forgotten it. And they... That's a younger soul, Rick. I believe that all babies come in as pure souls. I mean, and there's, it's just a, a basic awareness, and it's those around us that affect our belief system and cause us to either shut down to who we are or remain open to it. So those who commit acts that are less than loving have become blinded to who they are from the very beginning, who we are eternally. So then free will as a human being takes over and those very human actions come to the forefront. Whereas yeah. the soul inside all of us is always connected to love. There's a verse in the Bhagavad Gita where Lord Krishna says that, Arjuna asks Lord Krishna like, what happens if you're a spiritual aspirant and you don't complete it in this lifetime? And then, you know, do you just, do you not perish like a broken cloud? And Lord Krishna says, well, no, you actually spend a long time in sort of the celestial realms and then you, you're born in a pure and illustrious family or even in a family of yogis, although such a birth is more difficult to attain on earth. So Doesn't that feel right? It does, and it sort of relates to your young soul, old soul thing. There's sort of like a, an implication here that there's a certain amount of merit that's accrued and that benefit from that accrued merit. Oh, by, you reap what you sow is yeah. absolutely correct. Yeah, yeah. Here and in the hereafter. It's a continuous, ongoing evolution yeah. of the soul. You kind of implied that being a spirit guide is a, is a, a sort of a more advanced state perhaps than, than being an embodied human being. Well, correct me on that if I'm before that's I That's my understanding. Anything I say, I always know I could be wrong. I hope I'm not, but that's my current understanding. Yeah, like theoretically a spirit guide could come back in, in, in human life and do things here, maybe. Sure. I mean, look what Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Does everybody have spirit guides? I believe they do, yes. And I used to be so uncomfortable talking about spirit guides. Oh, people are going to think I'm crazy. And now I've gotten so much evidence that we have guides that how can I not? give people that comforting awareness that we are never alone. I mean, we do really stupid things as human beings because we think we're alone and nobody loves us. Imagine if everybody knew. All you had to do was ask a question and you'd get an answer. If you knew your guide was there and you could listen to them. If, if you knew that somebody who loved you and was always watching out for you, always had your back, was right there, we wouldn't have these addictions that we humans have and do all these crazy things for attention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do most people just have one spirit guide, or is it like a little team effort going on, you know, two or three of them around people? I know everybody has at least one, and that's there for life, and then others come in as needed, come and go as needed. Some loved ones be who pass become guides. I'll give a reading, and I, I see like charades when I give a reading. I see this motion from the loved one, and that means I'm guiding them. I'm uh -huh. guiding. Are guides multitaskers? Like one guide might be attending to a dozen people, or is it more of a one-on-one -on -one kind of oh, thing? Oh, it's one-on-one, one-on-one. Don't you think dealing with one human is all somebody <laughs> could handle? <laughs> so there are billions of them then? Oh, sure. Spirit is limitless. can manifest. I mean, and that's just this reality. How many grains of sand are there in the world? You yeah. Know? Are spirit guides the same as angels or different? I'm hearing that there's a difference, that most angels have... Angels have not lived lives as human beings, but most spirit guides have had that experience so that they can better understand their 
human being. Okay. Just out of interest, I have a friend who sees spirit guides routinely, just all the time, very matter-of-factly. You know, he just always sees them around people in any, any situation. It doesn't make a big deal out of it since it's so ordinary for him. But one time we were in an elevator together, and this is shortly after I learned that he was experiencing this, and I said, hey, are there any here? And <laughs> he just kind of <laughs> smiled, and then we got off the elevator, and he said, oh, she said, they just said to me, don't point us out to people. If they're meant to see us, they'll see us. That's beautiful. Yeah. And, and an important point, people come to me in, in readings and they say, And then he said, my... oh, by the way, there were three on the elevator. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Everybody wants to know their spirit guide's name. And what my guides have told me is that they really don't have names. They recognize each other by their light, just as they know us by our light, our frequency, our vibration. And so the guidance I tell everybody is ask them yourself. They're just waiting to be asked for anything to be acknowledged. And they love when we thank them and give them gratitude for their work. What happens when um, a person dies? Does their spirit guide get reassigned to somebody else or what? If, if that serves the greater good. Okay. It may be time for them to graduate to the next level. It can't be easy being a guide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It could be like boot camp or something. I don't know. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious about this stuff. That's why I'm asking these things. And maybe this is elementary to people who have done a lot of esoteric reading and all, but um, maybe some people will find these questions useful. And for those listening live, there are about 76 online right now. There's a question form on uh, the upcoming interviews page on batgap.com near the bottom. And if you submit questions through there, they will come to me. I can ask them. Well, actually, Irene sent one. Say somebody on the other side does not come through in spite of the relative or friend's strong desire to connect. What could be the possible reasons for that? Or perhaps oh, those wow. reasons are not something we can understand. For instance, do you find that loved ones from the other side come through mainly when there is a need for some healing or resolution? It is always when it serves the greater good, and we don't always know why somebody wouldn't come through. Sometimes those on the other side are not ready to come through. There are some who did some egregious things when they were here, and somebody will ask, do you sense my father? And I'll say, I don't sense anything. And then the more I tune in, I'll say, there is somebody, but he's just standing back here and doesn't want to speak. It's as if he, he wants to give an apology, but he's just not quite ready yet. And they'll say, well, that makes sense to me. I learned a couple of years ago that if I go into a reading with an agenda, knowing my client here lost a husband and that's who we want to get, that I have cut off what may be a higher purpose in that session. So I tell people, if your husband can come through, wants to come through, and that serves the greater good, we'll hear from him. But I just surrender to what is supposed to happen in a reading. And then amazing things happen. And usually the client hears from exactly who they wanted to hear from anyway. We often watch, especially Irene, but sometimes I also watch um, Long Island Medium, you know, Teresa Caputo. You ever watch her show? I and, don't watch any TV, and I've never seen her. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, she's interesting. She has, like, these inch-long fingernails, and she's very Long Island, you know, the poofed-up hair and everything. But she's a remarkable medium. And um, she'll, she'll walk into, like, a, I don't know, supermarket or some public place uh, or a restaurant, and she'll, you know, she'll pick up on something, like, oh, Somebody here wants to talk to somebody. And she'll get up and walk over to that person's table and say, you know, I'm a medium. And, uh, you know, the, I, of course, there's cameras all around, so it must have been prearranged. <laughs> but you know, does that happen to you where uh, you're, it, like, it, in, the, in a public place and all of a sudden you start getting a signal and this person needs to know something and somebody's trying to tell me something? 
it rarely happens. And I kept asking my guides, why not? Because I wanted it to happen. And finally, I um, traded sessions with a friend who's psychic. It's always fun because there are certain things that you can't get for yourself. And I asked her that question. And she said, your guides just showed me a bunch of arms like an octopus. And they just wrap themselves around you. In other words, when you're off duty, you're off duty. And they're protecting you. And that made such sense to me. Because when I give a session, I'm drained afterwards. And I would be doing this all the time. When people find out you're a medium, oh, can you tune into my dad? Oh, where's my mom? And I would just constantly be giving out energy. What I've learned is it's so important to have balance. But if there's a truly a tremendous need, somebody will come through. I remember sitting at a nail salon next to this woman and, and suddenly I'm hearing this voice say, John, John. And I knew it was this woman's husband. And I thought, oh my God, am I supposed to say anything? And he's pushing me. And I, I kind of looked at her. I did that Long Island medium thing that you just talked about. I said, uh, yeah, I believe you've lost a husband. And she looks at me and uh, she said, yes. And I said, and his name is John. And she said, yes. And I said, and he was an engineer. Yes. I could tell I was totally freaking her out. I said, and he died of a heart attack. Yes. And I said, well, he wants you to know that he's okay. I mean, it's just, and, and, and I just sneaked away and I'm sitting there at that place where you dry your nails, trying to just disappear. And she walked by and she said, I have to tell you, this is the most interesting visit to a nail salon I ever had. <laughs> and I felt I'd done my job, but it also felt kind of intrusive to me. But, but what I learned when I studied in England is that a medium serves those on the other side first. So very clearly that man needed to let his wife know he was still here. So I served him in that instance. Why it doesn't happen more often, again, it's a matter of balance for me. My former teacher used to discourage things like mediumship and channeling and so on. He said it's not that it's not legitimate, but it can have a deleterious influence on the medium. It kind of can break down their mind-body coordination or drain them in some way. And you just mentioned draining. So do you feel like this has been a mixed blessing in some way? Like it's, you know, been really it's, fantastic it's a, but somewhat draining? or It's a total blessing. I am so humbled and grateful for this ability. I've had more than... I can count on my fingers people tell me that the sessions have literally saved their life. I get messages of gratitude every day and so it's not a mixed blessing but it is draining and it is because I have that strong awareness that I need balance that I do very human things. This morning I was wiped out after a workshop last night and my husband came and found me laid out flat on my stomach on the RV bed. He said, are you all right? I said, I'm so tired. We were going to go out and get some exercise. And he says, well, I'm going to go get a walk. I said, good idea. And suddenly I heard my guide saying, what did you tell everybody last night? And what it was was, even when you're tired, it's necessary to get fresh air, to get sunshine. And I said, oh, I'm supposed to go with you. And I got up and I went for a nice, easy three-mile walk, <sighs> came back to life. So it's that balance, this balance. So. Yeah, it's, it's been wonderful. It's not. It's not a mixed blessing at all. I now, when you it. meditate, do you find that it doesn't drain you? It rejuvenates oh, no, you. Oh no, totally rejuvenates. Yeah, me. so that's in different fact, than than channeling or mediumship. It sort of has the. In a way, it's kind of the opposite because it rejuvenates or recharges you. Right, and there are certain types of meditation you can do. On my website, I have a free download of a 
a recording that I did called the 10 minute transformation. And it's a very short 10 minute exercise of balancing and aligning your chakras, the energy centers. And I use it on myself all the time. I don't need the recording to do it. And I can do it in five minutes. And it's just like, it's better than taking any pill that you could take instantly energize and clears out the gunk and ooh, back in battery. So as we go along here, if there's anything that comes to your mind that I'm not thinking to ask, feel free to just change the subject or just bring it up or whatever, because, you know, there might be all kinds of great stuff you want to talk about that wouldn't occur to me. So oh, I do want to talk about some, yes, one subject please. for uh, those who might be skeptical of mediumship, because I know the process I've gone through of figuring out how does this work? Is this real? How do I know this is real? I'm dealing with intelligent beings, real intelligence, and they know about our doubts. That's why they don't mind when we ask for evidence. So people that think that they're connecting with higher consciousness and may doubt that it's their own imagination, I want to tell them to ask for evidence, ask for a sign. And those on the other side will be happy to give it to you. They want you to know they're here. One of the neatest things that happens in my readings is when I get evidence that I'm not just reading my client, my sitter's mind. I have so many examples that this is not telepathy, that I'm dealing with somebody totally separate from this person sitting here in front of me. For example, I feel the presence of the loved one. And in fact, I become the human pincushion. I get their physical symptoms in a reading, which to me is so evidential. I say, bring it on because it's a fleeting pain or a fleeting burning sensation or my heart palpitates and I I jerk and I say, ow, sometimes it's stabbing pain. But I'll say, I just got a, oh, best one ever, piercing pain in my eye and I went, ow. And then it happened again and I said, well, I know I'm talking to your husband and he's showing me that something happened that gave him a piercing pain in the left eye and he's telling me this affected him his entire life. And the wife said, yes, at age 14, he was shot in the left eye with a BB and blinded for life. Mm. Now, I didn't read her mind. He gave me that pain. It's just a manipulation of frequency of energy. And I don't mind that momentary pain. The moment I report that, it goes away. And we've had a beautiful wow moment. (laughs) So that's just one way that I know that they're really here. Cool. Well, yeah. keep doing that as we go along. Anything that I'm not okay. thinking to ask, you go sure. ahead and bring it in. Here's another question from Irene. Do you find Thank that you, Irene. Do you find that your vibrational level has to get much faster to connect with spirit? And is that why you feel you could feel tired or drained because of the heightening it's, of your vibrational it's level? That, is that something else? Yes, I, it, those in spirit are vibrating faster than we are, and they have to lower their vibration to match ours. So the higher we can get our vibration going, we kind of meet in the middle, which is why we call a medium. So yes, I do have to do a certain few preliminary exercises just to raise my consciousness, raise my vibration. But the second reason I think it's so draining for me, no, I guess there are three then. Second reason is that for one hour when I sit with somebody, I am so completely focused on that connection. Mm. I use such intense focus to block out all of my human concerns, that that's a bit draining, that intense focus. I mean, sometimes I sit down and my life is in chaos. We were in the middle of a move and my mother was sick and my dog was sick and all this stuff is going on. And oh my God, I have to do a reading. And to just block that out, it's just so amazing now to be able to focus, give 100%. That's number two. And number three, you're dealing with somebody here who is grieving 
And it's very hard not to take on their energy mm. and all of their life issues and all of the issues that that spirit had is right in my energy field. So there are processes that I go through afterwards. I do that chakra clearing. I ground myself to clear out all of that and come back into balance. But it's the reason I only do one reading a day. And it's the reason my waiting list is quite lengthy. But I do know to protect myself and not overdo it. Do you always do the readings in person or do you sometimes do them over Skype or something? Oh, most of them nowadays are not in person because I'm doing readings for people all over the world, all over the country. Mm. Uh, so Skype, phone, FaceTime, in person, the connection is exactly the same because I say to those in spirit, blend your awareness with mine, blend your energy field with mine. And of course, they're instantly here because they're not in some faraway place. They're pure energy that's everywhere. So it's just a shift in awareness. So it doesn't matter if the person I'm talking to is halfway around the world. The spirit is with them and with me at the same time. Let's talk about channeling a little bit. I know that channeling came to you quite unexpectedly. You were giving a lecture or something or having a... It's like the last thing I ever expected or wanted to be doing. Yeah, all of a sudden like your finger twitched or your lip twitched or something. And next thing you know, you were starting to speak in this strange voice that sounded sort of Russian or something. Yeah, that was Boris, my guide. (laughs) Boris. I've heard a bunch of your sessions. Is this also this sort of accent that sounds a little bit like a mixture of British and Gollum or something. You know, Everybody a little wants bit to of like sibilance. That accident. Yes, <laughs> yes, it's this unusual accent, but it happened, the channeling came through before I had studied trance mediumship or mm-hmm. channeling. So I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to do it. And once I went after I started channeling and studied what happens in trans mediumship, it was exactly what had been happening through me. The voice changes, the cadence changes, the, the choice of words changes, the information that's coming through is certainly information higher than I would normally access. So all of those things happen naturally. Once I just said, make me your instrument, and I just surrendered myself to the greater good, and I guess that was supposed to happen. So why, why is there the sort of odd accent, if I may call it odd, and, and actually sometimes the convoluted grammar and things like that? Um, why, don't, why aren't you just speaking in your normal tone of voice, but yet channeling this higher intelligence? Uh, so I'm he- hearing, how else would you know that we are here? <laughs> ah, so yeah. it distinguishes it from it is. everyday it is. Suzanne. Ah, ah. And they're also saying, because they don't speak in words. So it is a distinguishing element and that they're giving me concepts. I'm the one that has to uh, put words to those concepts, but it's not a conscious thing I do. Once I surrender completely, the words just flow. They just come out. And sometimes I'll stumble over the words because the concepts are just so fast. It's like if you look at a tree, you know that's a tree without putting words to it. So they, the images, the concepts come, and this one, the subject, that's me, has to put words to it. I guess there are certain limitations based upon the channeler's own capabilities. Jesus couldn't come through and, and you would all of a sudden start speaking Aramaic or something. It has, it has to come through in English. So you're just translating concepts which are beyond language into a language you're capable of speaking. 
That is true. And it's all a matter of how much the medium or the, the channeler is able to surrender. Because the more I'm able to surrender my focus on the human aspects of me, the greater the information that comes through. Somebody recently asked a question that I had no idea what the answer was. And I was afraid to ask the question. What if I get it wrong? You know, we're all still very human. And I just surrendered and I asked the question and got an answer and went online and the answer was correct. So it's just a matter of learning to trust and trust and trust some more. Ultimately, maybe I will speak in Aramaic. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> I mean, this, this happens to other people. Do they? They start yeah. speaking in totally foreign languages? Oh, speaking in tongues? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, that's true. But sometimes those tongues are just gobbledygook. They're not actually oh, that's a, a true, language, right? you know? And Gaiman and the priest in the medium uh, talked of giving a reading to a woman whose loved ones were Greek. and. Mm -hmm she started speaking in Greek. Wow. She couldn't understand why the client was staring at her with the mouth hanging open. And she said, what? She said, you're speaking in Greek. So Amazing. that's pretty cool. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yesterday, I was preparing to do a reading for a woman in Ireland. I was meditating. And suddenly, I heard all these Irish accents. And I thought, now, I did not consciously make that up. I know the woman's in Ireland, but it was so clear. And the second I tuned in, oh, all these guys just came through so clearly. It was beautiful. Interesting. Several questions just came in. Here's one more from Irene, and then I'll ask a couple more from other people. There are so many people who channel now with different entities. How can we know that the entity has higher wisdom? How can we know if all the people who channel are for the higher good? Just because, oh yeah, there's this joke that a friend of mine used to say, just because you're dead doesn't mean you're smart. <laughs> that is true. That is very true. Yeah, I always listen to other channelers with my heart. And it's mm -hmm. what Sanaya has told all of us. Listen to these words, feel them with your heart. If it feels right, take it in and use it for the right purpose, what feels good to you. If it doesn't feel good, put it to the side. And that's the way you should test, test any channeled wisdom to see if it is wisdom or not. Does it speak to the heart? So far, nothing that has come through from Sanaya has not spoken to my heart. And so I'll keep doing this work. If it doesn't, then I know that I'm not truly tuning in to higher consciousness. Right. And so Sanaya is the entity that you channel, and Sanaya is it like a conglomerate of what Jesus, Mary Magdalene, Saint Germain, people like that, or I know Jesus is one of them, and Archangel Michael comes through occasionally. They told me the first time they came through, we are a collective consciousness, a group of guides. It had a masculine and feminine feel, and they said you will call us Sanaya. I looked it up later, and it was a Sanskrit name that means eminent, distinguished, and of the gods. But Rick, I found out a year ago, it also is a, an Arabic name that means flash of lightning, hmm. which is how my stepdaughter was killed. Yeah. And I wrote a book about a young man named Wolf who was also killed by a flash of lightning. So really interesting name that they chose. But they told me that members of this group come and go as needed. And one day in a large group channeling session, there were about a couple hundred people there. And Sanaya said, we will answer questions. And somebody raised their hand and asked a very scientific question. And there was a pause. And Zaniah said, you will wait while we seek a scientist. And there was pause. And then they came back and answered the question with information that I had no idea about. So it was really cool. That's neat. Yeah, neat. <laughs> they called in Albert Einstein or somebody. Have you? Oh, <laughs> oh really? Yes. Come oh, on, yes. you got to tell us something now oh, you've told us with, that. With evidence, or I wouldn't have said it. I was lying in my bed doing thought experiments, which is exactly what well, Albert did, Einstein yeah. used to do. And I said, okay, this was several years ago. I play all the time, which is what I tell other people. Just play, and if it doesn't feel right, then put it aside. So I said, who would I want to talk to? 
they have to be willing to talk to me, and they're not going to unless it serves the greater good. So, okay, how about Albert Einstein? He keeps coming up in these books I'm reading. And all of a sudden, I'm hearing this voice with a German accent. Mm. Now, to me, that was evidential because I usually hear thoughts that sound just like my own thoughts. And I said, now, you got to tell me something I don't know about you. Thank you for coming. And he talked about years of penury, not a word I would have used, and working in a patent office. And I said, well, I may have known that. What else can you tell me? I said, weren't you on the cover of Time magazine? And he said, see the one in a thin black tie and white shirt. I said, okay, I'm writing all this down. And then he said that he enjoyed time travel and he loved traveling with his mind to different places and different times. And he showed me a picture of him riding atop this red rocket sitting on top of it. I thought that's pretty cool. Sounds kind of farcical though. And he gave me some other information. I wrote it all down, thanked him and got up went and looked online. Sure enough, he went through years of not having much money, worked in the patent office, and it turns out there were multiple pictures of him on the cover of Time magazine, but there was one where he was wearing a thin dark tie and a white shirt. It was like the 100th anniversary of something, and the title across that picture was Rediscovering Einstein, which I thought was great, because that's what I was doing, rediscovering him. Then they said, my guide said, look online, you will find that picture of him riding a rocket. I looked and looked, I did a Google image search, couldn't find it. They said, keep looking. Finally, I said, wait a minute. I did a video YouTube search and there's Einstein, a cartoon of him exactly as I'd seen it, riding atop a red rocket in his time travel searches. Where does that come from? That's cool. You know, other people may hear it and say, that's crazy. I had the experience. It's mine. It's truth to me. And yeah. it was fun. Well, um, it's easy to say it's crazy, but this kind of stuff happens to you just about every day in one form, every day. One form or another. So, you know. I love life. Yeah. <laughs> so are you saying that Einstein now, in his sort of otherworldly existence, likes to time travel? He's everywhere at once. There's no time where he is. <laughs> That's interesting. There's no time for a photon either, uh, which travels at the speed of light. But you know, we see a f- light from a star that's you know 100,000 light years away. But from from the photon's perspective, it gets here instantly. Right. Okay. Here's some questions. Jackie from France, I can't pronounce the name of the town, says, I learned through a channel that I had a teacher who was not in the body and that I needed to connect to him through automatic writing. I tried, but it just felt as though I was making it up, so I gave up. Do you have any advice on how to tune in? Yes, that was exactly the advice that my mentor gave me. She said, have paper and pen with you. When you're meditating, your guides will teach you. So... I would get some flowery phrases, and just like Jackie, I said, oh, I'm making this up, because it sounded like something I could have come up with. Well, one day, you talked about my finger twitching. That's exactly what happened. My finger twitched, so I picked up my pen, and this time the words flowed. A couple sentences, then a couple sentences more, till all of a sudden, I had an oh my God moment. I realized the sentences were rhyming, and Three full pages later, I was sobbing because I had written an entire poem, and it showed me the brilliance of those on the other side. If they want to get our attention, they will do so. They sent me a poet, the one form of writing I'd always stayed away from, 
And from that day on, that was, oh, I don't know, six, seven years ago. That year was filled with 369 poems from spirit until I finally say, I get it. I get it. I'm not making this up. It's really you. And it was that week that Sanaya stepped in. But I want to tell you, Rick, that in that period of time, I was always writing with my eyes closed to maintain that connection. And there was one time when spirit said, open your eyes. And I opened my eyes and I looked down at the pad of paper on my lap and my pen had run out of ink. <laughs> it's like they knew that if I didn't open my eyes, I was going to miss the whole poem they were giving me. Yeah. So my advice to Jackie is to set your disbelief aside, let it flow, do your best to maintain that expanded state and ask to be given something that you wouldn't normally come up with. Ask a question and start writing the answer in the third person. Like you are, you can, and let it go and let it flow until you start to notice that the words are not your own. And then you'll know that you've tapped into something beyond your human side. Is this the book with all those messages that you mentioned? That That's one of two. In uh -huh. the silence, the first one was Love Beyond Words, of daily messages from Sanaya. I also post them every day on uh, my website. And at, you can go there directly at sanayasays.com. They're just beautiful universal messages. I get emails from people every day. Oh, Sanaya was talking exactly to me today. That's just what I needed to hear. Yeah. It's oh, you can also subscribe to that as an email thing where you get a little yes. email every day. Yes. Yeah. There was an episode on the Long Island Medium, Teresa Caputo, where her daughter brought home a Ouija board. And Teresa, like, freaked out and said, Ouija board, very bad energy. Get it out of the house. And then got, a, got out the smudge sticks and started purifying <laughs> the house and all that stuff. And Ouija board is a way of kind of automatic writing where you're being guided to move the thing around on the board. And in fact, my mother ended up in Payne Whitney Mental Hospital after uh, some Ouija board experimentation back in the 60s, uh -oh. but there were other issues involved. In any case, can there be a downside or a danger to automatic writing, Ouija boards, anything along those lines? I will tell you that I have no experience in that and really can't speak authoritatively on that at all. I've had no negative experiences whatsoever. But totally have you positive. heard of negative things? I've things? certainly heard that. I've yeah, heard yeah. absurd stories of that. I personally would I would not be afraid to deal with an Ouija board, but I, it, to me it's a cumbersome process because I hear directly now. Yeah, it's a lot yeah. slower than just writing or whatever, speaking. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, maybe the thing is that some people are more susceptible and, and perhaps um, able to be controlled by malefic entities, whereas others, they have a higher vibration, as you would call it, and are just not going to be pawns of those lower forms that of could intelligence. Be. Yeah. It could be. I don't want to get into the whole evil spirits thing because I don't give any power whatsoever to that. Mm -hmm. I truly believe that we all have the light inside us and that the brighter we turn it up, the more we are the light that we truly are. And I truly know in my heart that darkness does not like the light. So if you are the light, darkness does not come anywhere near you. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I do this work with no fear whatsoever. I just try to be the brightest light that I can. I'll ask another question in a second from one of the listeners. Maybe this would be a good juncture at which to ask you for some recommendations as to how to brighten your light so as for all the, all the various beneficial reasons that that would you know, result in. Very important to sit in the silence every day and ask to know what true divine love is, to ask what spirit is, to ask what I don't even like to use the word God because it has so many associations from what we've been told to believe in God. So to ask to know what the divine is, to have that experience of that. 
because it's beyond anything we can imagine. It's just something we have to experience. So the daily process of shifting our identification away from our human side. The second thing is to be committed to making the changes within yourself to heal any wounds that you're carrying around. I am constantly aware of whether or not I'm being loving and radiating love and identifying with my soul. If I catch myself having any kind of judgmental thought about anybody, I stop and I say, whoa, that's human side. I kind of see us like we have a dial and there's an H on one side for human and an S on the other side for spirit. And I try to keep it balanced, but a little bit more to spirit. But every once in a while I catch myself going human. Like we drive this huge 42 foot RV. I drive it too, and we're towing a car, so we're 60 feet long. Whoa. We're driving down the highway once in San Francisco. I can't believe I'm gonna admit this on this interview. The traffic this there guy, is insane, by the this way. This guy cut in front of me and I cannot stop on a dime. And I'm tense, because the traffic is intense. And I made a gesture that was very <laughs> human, okay? And my husband's at the passenger seat and he looks over at me and he goes, all right, she's human. <laughs> and I said, and at that point it was H100, S0, you know? And so I quickly recognized that in myself and just dialed back the light a little bit. But it takes an awareness that, yeah, we are both. See, it's not either or. We're both human and spirit. So we get to choose. Do you choose to have more peace in your life? Do you choose to have the experience of joy and love at all times? It's yours. It's right there. Dial it up with intention, with awareness of how you are responding to all the people that push your buttons. It makes life joyous to live like that. God, I could never go back to being H100. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good analogy. Okay, here's another question that come in, maybe slightly similar to the previous one, but maybe it needs elaboration. Charlene from Campbell River, Vancouver Island, Canada. Sounds like a nice place. I have taken a channeling course and I have only been able to connect to my guides when with my teacher and it was only once. I meditate every day and connect to the fifth dimension. I'm not sure what that is, but she says she feels it, but cannot communicate. Is it just practice or is there something else I could be doing? Thanks so much. I believe that every person is different and that everything will unfold exactly as it is supposed to. I would love to see the spirit standing right here in my room, and I don't. Why is that? Because it's not supposed to happen yet, I guess. The channeling happened for me unexpectedly, and it's been beautiful. She has set the intention. She's doing the work. I believe that things don't always unfold at the timelines that we humans like. So as long as she still feels that's her calling, I would say, hold that intention, pray, ask to be shown what it is that she needs to do, and just continue doing that. And if it is meant to happen, it'll happen. If it's not, then I would ask her to accept that that's not in her path. Yeah, I think that's important. Like we were talking earlier, it, we all have different callings. And I suppose if she has a real ardent desire to, to be doing it, then maybe it is her calling. But, you know, it should be <laughs> genuine and deep. I was listening to one of your recordings, and you were saying, correct my phraseology, but you are saying something like, convert your demands to preferences. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's from um, Ken Keyes. I think that's his name, mm -hmm. his Keys to Higher Consciousness. I learned this years ago, and I love sharing it. He's passed now to the other side, but uh, it was downgrade your demands to preferences. Right. We think that life is supposed to go our way, and we see things that are supposed to go a certain way, but life is not like that. And so when things don't go your way, you can get all uptight about it and lose your equanimity, lose your peace, or you can say, 
Well, I would prefer that that not have happened, but I had no control over it. And so it is what it is. It's just instantly takes you to a place of peace. Just like another phrase that my guides gave me, same thing. When life, the drama gets to be too much, you realize that you are both human and spirit and you rise above, you shift your identity to that as spirit and you look down on poor little you having all that drama. And in a place of total neutrality, you say this phrase, isn't that interesting? And it works with everything, Rick. It works with little stuff and big tragedies. It just instantly takes you to this place of neutrality where you can now choose. When I step back into that drama, how am I going to react? Am I going to go crazy and lose it? Or am I going to be calm and react differently from a different perspective? It's great. I hand out little stickers that say, isn't that interesting on it? <laughs> yeah, I like both of those. And so in, in Charlene's case, we might say, you know, rather than sort of have a demanding attitude like, damn it, I want to be a channeler, <laughs> channeler or bust. Yes. It would be more yes. like, okay, well, if I'm meant to be a channeler, then I'll, sure, I'll, I'll apply myself and, and it'll happen. But if I'm yes. not, then maybe it won't. Maybe I'm meant to do something else. It, it, that, I wouldn't say that's wishy-washy. It's more like um, humble. Rather yeah. than I am running the show and I'm calling exactly. the shots, it's, it's more like, okay, there's a higher wisdom running the show and I want to be in tune with that, but here's my preference. That, that is the main key to all of this work that I have absolutely learned that all of these abilities are, are thanks to spirit. I don't do any of this. And let me tell you, Rick, they will cut off that connection in an instant if any of my ego gets in the way. I learned that lesson a few years ago in such a painful way that I was like, I get it. Thank you for that lesson. This is all yours. Before I do a session, every time I say, I surrender. Because it's not me. Use me as your instrument. So, yeah, we have to get out of the way if we want to be that instrument of spirit. Okay, here's a nice one. Dan says, this is very nice and direct, from Linda in Scotland. I, if I could, I would do this in a Scottish brogue, but I can't. So a lot of, maybe you can, a lot of non-duality teachers say that mediumship, which opens up as a part of an awakening process, is a distraction to, you know, might as well cover this again, because I'm sure that some people are still harboring this thought, is a distraction to awakening, and focusing attention on that gets in the way of the awakening process. We'd really like to hear your opinion on that. I would need to talk to her to see in what way is it a distraction, because it is in trying to expand my consciousness to increase my connection with those on the other side that I personally have awakened more and more. My life is so joy-filled. I am sometimes so overwhelmed with love, I don't know how to contain it. As a result of becoming a medium, the side effects of becoming a medium has been this connection with all of it is, with everyone around me. It has transformed my life. It has been anything but a distraction. It's been the greatest blessing of my life. Yeah, so it certainly hasn't been a distraction for you. Um, no, and so I, I really don't understand her question, so I, I, I value it, appreciate it, but uh, would ask her to ask in what way it would be a distraction. Well, here's an analogy that's sometimes used in spiritual circles. Life could be thought of as like a big territory, and in that territory there are diamond mines and gold mines and all kinds of interesting things, and you can go after those mines and start exploring them and trying to extract ore from them or something, but it's not your territory. You don't own it. It so happens that there's a fort that commands the territory. And so oh, what you you're talking to, all military now. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> so what you want to do first is capture the fort, 
And then once you've captured the fort, the territory is yours and you're at liberty to explore all the different mines without sort of being in a jeopardy kind of situation. And the fort in this, case, in this analogy would be pure consciousness, the self being established in that, then explore at your leisure. But if you prematurely begin exploring before having established that, maybe you'll get sidetracked. That's, that's the sentiment behind this concern. That again goes back to the either-or mentality. You're either awakened or you're a medium, and we're all of that. We're limitless beings. So follow the guidance of the heart. Good. Okay. Um, I'm taking the questions in the order they're coming in. Here's one from Ali from Aledo. I don't know where Aledo is. Is there any way that I or anyone can do what you do? Yeah, I'm sure you're going to say yes to that part. But my heart has been so desiring and drawn to helping others receive messages from the guides and or angels. But I was told by a medium that it's something you've got to be born with and it's not no. something that can be developed. No. If we can develop this ability to knowingly hear guides and angels clearly, how? Okay. It absolutely begins with the belief and that nudge, and he clearly has that. And I would again say to sit in the silence, to ask to be guided, to be able to expand your consciousness, continuously seeking to clear out any blockages within yourself, and to just continue that process and see what unfolds. I've just started teaching classes in mediumship, and it's going to be interesting to me to see how much students who have that desire can develop, because I know that I started from ground zero and you certainly don't have to be born with it. Okay, good. Here's another question from Irene. See, Irene's psychic. She doesn't know it, but this, this hits close to home for you. Uh, oh, she says she does know it. Um, sometimes loved ones from the other side will communicate with us through manifestations on Earth, such as having their loved ones see repeatedly butterflies, there you go, oh, yes. or feathers or shooting stars, etc. These are seen as a symbol of their presence, and this will be verified by a medium. What are the mechanics, or how can the other side create these effects on Earth? Okay, I, the butterflies were the symbol that my uh, stepdaughter Susan sent me right after she passed in such a stunning way that I couldn't ignore it. At first I did, and then it was in-your-face butterfly Yeah, tell that situations. story. That's cool, where you're hiking in well, Crete on the trail. and. The... Oh, yeah. Well, we had been sailing along in, in the Aegean Sea in Europe the week after she died, and my husband said, Suzanne, did you notice that yellow butterfly that's been following the boat for three days? I mean, that just doesn't happen on the water. And I said, yeah, I did notice that. And... <laughs> And I looked down, and the next line in this book I'd been reading about the afterlife that I picked up just after her funeral says, those in the spirit world often send us signs that they're around, which can be as subtle as a yellow butterfly in December. This was from George Anderson's book, A Medium. And just then, the butterfly flies right between us and leaves us. And we just kind of said, well, that was kind of random. So we docked that night at this little island off of Croatia, and there's a swarm of yellow butterflies around our boat and only our boat. Oh, What's with the butterflies? I don't know. You know, not giving any credit to Susan for any of this. So the next day we decide to go for a hike before we get underway in our boat. We're hiking up this hill and I'm saying, Susan, are you really still here? It's just a week since she's passed. Please show yourself to me. I'm very naive at this point. I think I'm going to see her standing on the trail. I still haven't seen her, but I feel her constantly now. But please just show yourself. And I tell people, it's in my documentary, I can just imagine her now on the other side. Haven't you seen the butterflies? Because all of a sudden, this butterfly comes out from my left side out of nowhere, flies a complete circle around me, bounces into my heart, goes down the trail in a beeline, 50 yards, straight towards my husband. I yelled, 
tie. And he turns around just as the butterfly hits him right at heart level, flies around him in a circle, and flies away. I got goosebumps telling this story again. Right then I knew, okay, Susan, you are here in a way that I can see. Now, do I think Susan's a butterfly? No. But now I know everything is consciousness. You know, you look at a flock of birds. They fly as a group, group consciousness affecting them. So wouldn't it be easy for higher consciousness to say, we're going to blend with the consciousness of that butterfly and just like a little remote control, right? Turn right, turn left, go in a circle. Right now, dive on the heart. <laughs> you know, and now fly off. Mission accomplished. It's just playing with consciousness. I don't know how they manifest the pennies out of nowhere. Haven't figured that out. Pennies? Pennies. I mean, there's, there's a yeah, very dear friend of mine. Yeah, pennies. Yeah. A friend of mine has these pennies appear. There is no explanation than that her husband is sending them. I don't right. know. Well, I guess when you get to the bottom line, Everything really is just energy in a way. This is an illusion. So, okay, we want to create a pending, get a message across. Let's do it. But Amazing. can't explain it. Huh. Right. That's interesting. Yeah, Irene seems, this is some in-group knowledge here, because Irene saying, oh yeah, pennies. I, I don't know about the pennies. <laughs> oh, well, watch out now. Just have a few land at your feet. Can I have like $20 gold pieces or something? No. <laughs> I'll tell you an interesting story I had one time uh, that was... I was staying in this facility, uh, TM movement facility up in the Catskills, and um, I was in, and it was, I didn't have a car, it was impossible to get into town, and there were certain things I wanted uh, that I couldn't get because I couldn't get into town or anything, and um, there was some, a bunch of odds and ends, some scissors and stationary supplies and things like that, and I also had uh, like a pair of Florsheim shoes that had um, metal decorative buckles on them, and the buckles had broken because I'd gotten the shoes wet and then put shoe trees in them and they dried and expanded and the buckles had broken. So I wanted some shoe buckles to replace the ones that had broken off. <laughs> Aren't so, you supposed to be focused on consciousness at well, this For the most part I was. But, and uh, I was uh, transferred to a different room and there in the room, it was totally cleaned out, but someone had left behind all the little office supply things that I had wanted, including some Brasso, brass cleaner. Oh, God, of course I know Brasso from day one at... Officer candidate school. <laughs> yeah, but no shoe buckles. So I, I went down to dinner that night, and as I was walking down a the hallway, there was this air conditioner in a window in the hallway, and something caught my eye atop the air conditioner, and it was a pair of decorative shoe buckles that fit right on my shoes. How in the world did that oh. get organized? You know? <laughs> I know. I know. Well, I have. Can I match that story? And sure. I don't want to. It's not one-upmanship, but it's just the sharing the the beauty of spirit, and and yeah. you can't explain those things. And my husband and I were in Paris a couple of years ago on a one-week vacation, and I have the map, and we're trying to find our way back to the hotel. We took a couple wrong turns. We stopped for lunch, and I come out. Which way are we supposed to turn? And I said, Well, I'm sensing we're supposed to go this way. We go that way, and I stumbled over something that went clink clink at my feet. I looked down. I reach down and I pick up two U.S. Navy uniform insignias, warfare specialty insignias. One was a set of silver dolphins. One was a gold surface warfare officer's insignia. My first husband wore the silver dolphins. My husband, Ty, wore the gold surface warfare officer's insignia. Hmm. Both of them, their insignia on a street in Paris. How do you explain it? U.S. Navy officer things just appeared and I stumbled over them. To me, it was a sign, yeah, you're on the right path, Suzanne. Both finding your way back to the hotel and in everything I had been doing with spirit leading up to that point. Can't explain it, but they're what I call God winks. To you, that was a sign that all was in divine order, wasn't it? 
Yeah, you know, no and, and, and you wonder how, I mean, somebody put them there. Why would yeah. they have done that? And what motivated them to do that? Oh, this, um, this reality is so much more malleable than most of us realize. Yeah. Tell that story just for fun. I don't even think it was you. It was a different medium about the person who canceled an appointment because, you know. Oh, yes. And yes, you, know, yes. you know the story. Go for it. I sure know that story. It's in Chapter 12 of The Priest and the Medium that a woman had an appointment for a reading with Ann Gaiman at 1 o'clock and called to cancel it. Minutes later, the phone rings, and it's somebody saying, Anne, I want an appointment with you. May I have a reading? And Anne says, oh, I have a waiting list. Yay, long, but I just had a cancellation, if you can get here by 1 o'clock. So the lady shows up, but she brings a friend. Can my friend have a reading? Anne says, well, I have this guy flying in from New York at 2 o'clock. If you're willing to wait till 3 o'clock, I'll read for your friend as well. Great. So her friend sits on the porch and does the reading for the lady who's filling in the cancellation beautiful reading. The woman's mother comes through with great evidence. She shows the red Victorian house where they grew up. Lots of evidence. Very satisfying reading. Well, it's two o'clock. Here comes a cab with the guy from New York. So Anne has the lady sit on the porch with her friend. The guy passes the two ladies, comes into the reading with Anne. And Anne realizes right away, uh-oh, I didn't shut down the connection from the previous reading because that lady on the other side is still here. So she's kind of trying to tell her Go away now. I want to get this guy's loved ones. And the guy from New York says, excuse me, Miss Gaiman, but I need to tell you something. I really don't want to hear from loved ones on the other side. What I was hoping was to find my long lost sister. And at this point, the lady in spirit is going like this because it's his mother. And Anne realizes this. She grabs his hands, stands him up and says, come with me and takes him out to the porch where she says to the guy, this is your sister. And they hug, and Anne Gaiman cries every time she tells this story. I get goosebumps every time. And Anne and I always say, do you see how hard that mother in spirit worked to make that happen? Of course she knew her son was going to meet with a medium. So somebody had to put the thought in the one o'clock appointment lady's head to cancel the appointment. Then the mom had to say to her daughter from spirit, Call Ann Gaiman now. <laughs> and so we have all these thoughts, and we think they're our own, but I've had so many experiences like this where I know that our thoughts are put in us by our loved ones. This is why when they say they're guiding us, they really are. Our thoughts are not our own. It's just one mind. But it's even more than that, Rick, because the mother also had to say to her daughter, and take a friend. Because this was pre-internet days, pre-cell phone. The lady would have had a reading and got up and left. But instead, she had to stick around. And so that when Anne figured out what was going on, she was sitting right there on the porch. Isn't that great? So which one was the sister? Was it the lady who had made the one o'clock appointment? Or yes. was it the friend she had brought along? No, it was the first lady. Because that's the mother she brought through in the reading. And that lady stuck around because it was the same mother to both of them. That's really cool. I uh, see. Right. So she wouldn't. Have she would have gone home otherwise, right? Oh yeah. If she hadn't brought the friend. Yeah. That's really neat. You know that saying like you get up on the wrong side of the bed, or there's these cartoons where somebody has a dark rain cloud over their head. There was a guy like that in the Peanuts comic strip. He always, Minus. Had, always yeah, he yes. always had this dark rain cloud over his head. And there's that song, "Born under a bad sign." If it wasn't for bad luck, I wouldn't have no luck at all. I mean, there's so many things like this in the culture where, uh, where. For certain people, things just seem to click. They seem, just seem to go their way. Other people, it's like obstacles at every stage. I'm wondering if you were psychically at my workshop last night because I told the Eamon story, and then I told this story. 
Oh, did you? It's putting thoughts in your mind, Rick Archer. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the point here. If you keep hitting a wall, if you are constantly surrounded by what you consider bad luck, then you're just not tuning into the guidance that's always there. If you can sit in the silence and ask, guide me, show me where I'm going wrong and be open to what you hear and act on it. The more you act on it and things go right, then you begin to trust and it becomes a constant process of being guided and tuning in and being aware of when you're not positive and being willing to think and entertain those more positive thoughts. Spirit wants nothing more than for you to be loved and know you're loved. You are loved, but we don't recognize that. And so if you keep hitting a wall and you feel the world is against you, that's not spirit, that's human side. So dial up the S and allow yourself to be guided. And the more your life flows, that's just a natural response to being in the flow, to being S instead of H. <laughs> yeah. You've sort of said it, but after a while, it's not just a matter of sitting in the silence. It's not like you have to take little silence breaks in order to find out what to do next. The silence gets incorporated into your active life and is there. That's it. You could be like riding a motorcycle that's or it. skiing that's down a ski it. slope or something. The silence is all there. May, and, may I just say that that's my new workshop and it's coming out on DVD. It's called Your Emerging Soul. It's a play on words because it's about merging the human side of you with the spirit side. Realizing again, it's not either or you're both and so when you can get to that point where you walk around in that merged state that I'm in right now I'm tuning in constantly to am I speaking from that higher place but I'm still very much aware of the human side of me but choosing where you put your focus then life really flows and that's when the magic happens and that's when you really fulfill your whole purpose of being here to be the presence of love that's yeah. what it's all about just to bring in another military example, and to quote the Bhagavad Gita again, there's a circumstance where the, the hero Arjuna is faced with a battle, and he doesn't want to fight the battle because m many people he respects are on, are on the opposing side, and he doesn't know what to do, and he's distraught, and he just wants to give it all up and sit down and you know, live on alms for the rest of his life. So the advice he receives from Lord Krishna, who is his teacher, is, okay, first transcend, you know, first get to the silence, and then established there perform action so you can't yes. work it out intellectually necessary but if yes. you get established in being and then perform action yoga stakru or karmani then you'll do the right thing this is where the balance is so important because my i'm married to a very much a military man and i love him with all my heart and i so respect him and so we have these conversations at dinner. I've stopped watching the news because I don't buy into all that negativity, but we have the discussions about what's going on and I have to honor his beliefs and his opinions. One time he called me naive and we had a discussion about that and I said, I'm not naive. I'm choosing where to place my focus. But there are times when I am very much the realist. So I choose whether to be in this world, but not of it. It's a choice that we make all the time. So yeah, I could be very human if I want, and I can take sides, and I can get totally into all of this drama, but I choose peace. I choose peace. It doesn't mean I'm not aware of what's going on in this physical world, but I know that there are two worlds. This is not the only one. And even in this world, 
You know the old blind man and the elephant story, right? The, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. You mentioned the word paradox earlier. It's like one can have one's preferred side, but one can also see the paradoxical opposite of that as also having some legitimacy. So it's not, like, it's not like I'm totally right and they're totally wrong on this, that, or no, the No, that's the thing. You know. That's the thing. It's, it, it's that either-or mentality is what makes us say, I'm right, you're wrong. And the second you recognize that, say, whoa, whoa, that's human. It should so identify more with the soul. And that, that allows other people to believe what they believe without judging them. And that is such a beautiful place to be. Yeah. And you feel the love that's beneath all of that. Right, and it's not like you're not going to be able to vote because you don't have any preferences or opinions exactly. or anything. You, you can do it, but, you know, variety makes the world. And... Well, actually, here's another question that came in. Let me ask this one first. Uh, this is from Annie in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Suzanne, when one with no experience in such things uh, senses or even sees a spirit, is it wise to address or speak to it or try to engage in oh, some sort of communication? Yes. Are there potential dangers one should be aware of in summoning communication with spirit forms? No dangers as long as you are the light. Turn up the light. There's no danger to you. And absolutely acknowledge that spirit. that They came to you for a reason because you can see them. So you say, why are you here? How can I help you? And maybe they just need to be told, you're okay, and I'll get a message to your loved ones if that's what you need. But as long as you know that you cannot be harmed because you are love, you are the light, then just ask them why they're here. Why else would they show up? They have something to say. Yeah. And, you know, we've been trained to fear spirits, to fear ghosts. That's just a belief system. What does the heart say? It's all love. Incidentally, did you ever see the movie Ghost with Patrick Swayze? Yes, yes, and, uh, yes. and De- that's Demi that Moore. scene with Whoopi Goldberg where the whole family is standing behind her saying, I want to talk, I want to talk. That's exactly <laughs> what it's like in a reading. Yes. That was a great movie. And uh, Patrick Swayze sings, I'm Henry VIII, I am, over and over and over again to get Whoopi Goldberg to finally agree to, <laughs> you're driving me crazy, okay, I'll do it. Yeah, Bruce Joel Rubin was the screenwriter for Ghost. He won the Oscar for it, and I interviewed him a few months ago if you, if you want to check that one out. I really want to bring home the point that we're dealing with intelligence here at many levels. I just gave a reading yesterday, as I mentioned, to a lady in Ireland. and She'd been on my waiting list for over a year, and I tried to reach her. Couldn't get her. She had first contacted me through Facebook, so I messaged her on Facebook. No answer. Tried several times and finally moved her to my list, my could-not-reach list. So, I don't know, just like a week or so ago, no, longer than that. She called me and said, where am I on your list? Isn't it time? And I said, there you are. Yes, let's schedule your reading. So I did the reading yesterday, and she said, you have no idea how timely this is. Because her husband came through with incredible evidence. I can't share it because she didn't give me permission to. But it was just, there was no doubt it was her husband with messages that she needed to hear. She didn't tell me that. He said it. And she said, oh, my God, you have no idea how healing that is for me. Well, guess what? Her husband only died two weeks ago. Mm. When I originally tried to contact her, he had not yet died. Ah. And he was not yet, at that point, able to tell her the messages that he brought through that she so needed to hear before he died, physically able. So I absolutely believe that there was an influence that made it impossible for me to reach her because she wasn't supposed to have that reading yet. So cool. Which also shows me that it doesn't matter how long somebody's been gone. I brought through somebody within days of their passing. I I tuned into the spirit of Edgar Mitchell, the astronaut, Mm -hmm. within two weeks of his passing last month with evidence, amazing evidence. And it's 
It's really cool. And if those on the other side want to get through, either they'll do so themselves or they'll get help from somebody to communicate through a medium. We've sort of done this, but I just want to rehash it a little bit. Like my mother, for instance, died in, I think, 1989, so quite a while ago. And uh, I often get the feeling like she's saying, yeah, Ricky, you're doing a great thing. I love your show. (laughs) But she may very well have reincarnated already. In fact, Mm -hmm. we got a message from somebody at her funeral saying she won't be gone long. She'll she'll be born nine months from now or something. I don't know if that's was true but or not. We are, as we discussed earlier, I could still tune into her if we did a dedicated session. Sure. Because the essence of her that was her is eternal. And it's like that wispy smoke with her certain unique scent, aroma, mm-hmm. you know, even though an aspect of her may have reincarnated. Yeah. It's not all or nothing. It's not right. one strict essence that now goes and becomes this blob over here. They're talking about spirit. On that note, you and I and Irene and everybody listening we exist almost, we could almost say predominantly on some higher plane. In the, oh, you know, gosh, on the other, yes. And, and only a little portion of us, like a little handful yeah. of clay from a much larger piece of clay, has come to take this uh, earthly existence. Yes, yeah. yes. And that's the thing. We're so limited down here. And the more you expand your consciousness, the more you're aware of how much you are a part of and how inseparable you are from it and how interconnected everything is to the point where they can put little shoe Metals. <laughs> yeah. So uh, along those lines of thinking, um, you know, if you can sort of be predominantly in, in the higher realm or whatever, and yet having taken a human incarnation, can you take two or three or four or five incarnations at the same time and be, you know, might I also be a taxi driver in San Francisco and a pole uh-huh. dancer in London or whatever? I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The people in the room just saw it too, and maybe, maybe uh, some of your listeners will rewind and see this little twitch in my lip that happened just then when you asked that question. As I tune in, I can't help it. I get this little Elvis twitch that I cannot create for you. But when Boris and my guides are talking, it happens, and it's so ugly. I tried to get them to stop, and then I realized I love it because to me, it's so affirming that they're talking and they're saying, "Listen to us," and they're saying that. You are all that is, and there are multiple incarnations happening at once. And if you were aware of all of the lives that you were living at this point, you could not handle it. Mm-hmm. It would be as chaos in your mind. And so be satisfied to live this current life and learn the lessons from it that you are learning now, and you will have fulfilled the purpose of this incarnation. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so what I'm getting from that is that there's just so much more than we understand and our little minds at the tip of this little inverted triangle can't even acknowledge what's going on here. So yeah, we probably are that taxi driver over there and it's why you look like that person. It's why you have deja vu with that person because everything's happening all at once, but that's too much for my little brain to come. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one way I kind of see it based yeah. on what you just said is that, you know, if we take it to the ultimate level of universality, then that which we are is living the lives of every being in the universe simultaneously throughout all time, if we want to acknowledge time. Uh, we are the ants and the butterflies and the monkeys, and we're everything. That's, we're living all you those lives. You know that already. <laughs> yeah, but if we want to sort of like make it a little bit more manifest and individuated, you know, which is the way creation sort of arises from, from you know, universality to more and more specificity, then it seems to me that at some intermediary stage in some, in some realm, there, there is sort of like you know, this soul and this soul and this soul. Yeah. There's some individuation and then that those souls could incarnate in this life or in several lives or, or whatever like that. I'm seeing that it's a visual of 
of life and I'm hearing these sounds like life has just been slowed down to this slow motion realm we call physical earth so that we can understand this and have this experience because if everything happened all at once it would just be like the big bang right it was just it's it's slowed down and unfolding in this linear motion for us now but it's not reality oh cool you're going deep here <laughs> <laughs> i think about this stuff all the time here's a question this one's for me more or less it seems that Wait. oh well it's just one of my questions that i'd written down no no no. i'm supposed to say oh, right now because yeah. it's a point that we haven't made yet mm -hmm. to we've gotten off the mediumship and that's fine i love these deeper questions but to tell anybody who's listening to talk to your loved ones who have passed mm. they don't realize that they're so near and just thinking of them and talking to them is like a doorbell going off and it draws them near to them we may not be able to hear them in response but they certainly pick up on our thoughts and are around us and they don't miss the birthdays they don't miss the graduations they're right there at the weddings at all of those celebrations because you know it's love that joins us all so talk to them talk to them aloud talk to them quietly they hear you nice all right okay hi mom and dad hope everything's That's it. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people it seems channel or say they're channeling the same people. Jesus, Mary Magdalene, St. Germain. There was a guy in our town that said he was channeling St. Germain. And so is it that like these great souls kind of do that? I mean, they, they speak through a great very many people. Is that kind of their agenda? Because you know, obviously they could have a greater influence if they're speaking through more people. Um, it feels to me like a two-sided thing. Like, yes, that's their task. They are here to be our teachers. But also, we as mass consciousness have created that belief that that's possible. And so that holds it in place. It comes from both sides. That we believe we can channel the masters, and so we do. And they're there for us. We create that experience. But they are created in consciousness. And so from their side, the two come together. Wow, I've never expressed it that way, but that's what I'm being shown, and that, that makes sense. Good. To me, from my somewhat skeptical perspective, there are degrees of believability among the people who say that they're doing this kind of thing. Some people, like you, you for instance, feel totally good about you. But other people, like this guy I mentioned who was in town, I sat down and talked to him one time, and I started asking a little bit probing questions. You know, how do you know this is genuine? How do you know it's, you're not just tapping into some more creative level of your own mind and, and making up all kinds of stuff? And he kind of bristled uh, subtly. I could, I could feel it. His, yeah. his ego got threatened, and he didn't express it, but there was anger. How do you dare challenge me? How do you address the, the idea that there might be charlatans out there or semi-charlatans? There's no doubt there are charlatans out there, and that's why we, we need to be open-mindedly skeptical. I think that many people do have good intentions but aren't tapping in at the highest level, and then there are those who would be in it for the money or for the ego boosting. And so, again, you, you always have to take each individual and test it with the heart. This is why I didn't want to admit that I'm a channeler because of that reputation of being charlatan. Yeah. But when I see the effect that this work has on other people, when I see the changes in people, when I feel the heart openings, when I feel an entire group's energy rise and see the light that those in spirit must see from that group after the effects of their presence with us, how can I not do that work? And so that's why I ask those masters 
to show their presence to me with evidence. The first time I decided to say, is it possible for Jesus to come to anybody? Jesus, can I feel you? Recognizing, Rick, that I was raised with no religion. An atheist and an agnostic as parents never read the Bible, spend an hour perusing it and saying, "Mm, this is not my path. It's beautiful, but it's not my path. But then I wanted to connect with Jesus because I know what his message was, was love and love and kindness and compassion. I invited in that presence. I'll tell you, if I hadn't been sitting on a couch, I would have fallen off a chair. It was so powerful. I knew what I was feeling. It was so loving. But then I put him to the test. I said, how do I know this is you? I need evidence. Give me a Bible verse that's relevant to your visiting me right now. See, to me, that was relevant because I don't know the Bible. And just like that, I heard Thessalonians 2, 13. I was like, what is that? And just then, my husband, Ty, walked in the room. And the feeling vanished. And I turned. I said, Ty, what is Thessalonians? See, that's how Bible illiterate I was, which is why this is beautiful evidence. And he says, well, it's a book in the Bible. We looked up that verse. It was so relevant. I looked. How many verses are in the Bible? 33,000. And this one was all about trusting the word of God when you hear it. Mm. Because if you don't trust it with your heart, you'll think it's foolishness. Mm. So then he came back the next day and gave me a Bible verse without me even asking. Corinthians first, 2.14. What? I look it up. It's the same message. Trust the words when they speak to your heart. Spirit is real. And then I had this amazing synchronicity with those two exact Bible verses a few weeks later. That was the start of me going down this path where I knew that there is just one mind, one spirit, and it can manifest as Jesus, or it can manifest as, as you said, Mary Magdalene or St. Germain. I haven't had personal contact with them, but if it serves the greater good and you are open to being their instrument, then they will appear to you. Hmm. But you need to trust and test everything in the heart. Yeah. Yeah. So you've con- and, and your heart was telling you when you talked to that guy, this is not right. You had that little twisting. Well, I was feel. trying to test a little yeah. bit, but yeah. I sort of felt like he failed the test. Well, that's right. You know, because of the way he reacted. Yeah. So that's that was the answer. So I think that's good advice because there's so many people in places like Sedona and other places who are just sort of like going to channelers and maybe a little bit gullible. And you don't want to be closed minded, but you don't also don't want to be so- taken advantage of. Start in a neutral place without judgment. Say, I'll be open to this, and then test how it feels. Irene just wrote down, I love that she asked for evidence. If it is real, there should be evidence. The heart tells you also. Always, always. I have a lot of the transcripts and the recordings from my session on my website under uh, Sanaya. And so listen, read. If it helps you, great. If it doesn't, move on to something else. There are so many ways to to awaken, to, to find the path to wholeness and love, that your, your own spirit will guide us. That's the beauty. You can take so many different paths, and there's no one, no one answer. <laughs> All roads lead to Rome. I just want to mention your book, Wolf's Message. I, I haven't had a chance to read the whole book, but I, it's a pretty cool book. It's about this guy who not only foresees his own death as evidenced by things that were found in his apartment, uh, before he died, he was struck by lightning, and he sees his own death by lightning under a particular tree. And he also sees a couple of long-stemmed roses that his parents put there after he died. Yeah. And we, we know he sees them because he drew a picture of them that was on his wall. So that's pretty neat. 
there are some implications in the fact that he was able to see that uh, ahead of time and write it down. Um, yep. Anything you want to say about the, the gist of that whole book? And, and you know, well, Wolf's message is that that young man showed us that the soul knows at a soul level what lies in our future and when it is our time. We may not always know at a human level, but the soul does know. And he was a young man who walked in both worlds at once. He was what I call a drop-in to me as a medium. He dropped into my bedroom at 5.30 in the morning. I joke to people that we often have strangers in our bed. My husband is a very patient man because I thought all of a sudden Wolf is in my bedroom and I'm writing down evidence that he's giving me, 48 separate pieces of information about this young man I never met that his parents later scored for validation and was highly, highly accurate. There was no doubt this was him visiting me after his death. But the book is about what he came back to share with all of us through me, his message to all of humanity about how we need to get out of the head and into the heart, what we've been talking about this whole session. Mm -hmm. So it's a beautiful message. People who read it experience incredible synchronicities. And they, and many people experience Wolf's presence. So it's a uh, one woman, in fact, the leader of the Association for New Thought, Global New Thought, Barbara Fields, Dr. Barbara Fields, read that the book for her was like an oracle because it spoke to things happening in her life, validated things happening in her life. And uh, it's also a really great book for if you want to learn how to, to notice those little nudges from spirit that catch your attention and then learn to pull the thread to find out when you're in the flow, to get more in the flow with spirit. I, I should give examples of how I do that all the time. And, and it will make the readers more aware of becoming aware of their surroundings at all times. Do you ever get any um, prophetic messages or knowledge about like what's going to be happening with the world 5, 10, 15, 20, 50 years from now? I do not. I do not. And I believe that's because there's so much free will involved in human living that it's a very changeable, malleable future. There's so many possibilities. And so I, it hasn't come to me very much. Immediate warnings happen occasionally. Just two days ago on the road, uh, we were pulling into a parking lot. My husband and I were going to go for a run in the middle of a long day of traveling. And we often just stop somewhere and change into our running gear and go off and get some exercise. We pulled in and it was this feeling that I've only had once or twice in my life in the past couple of years. I said, honey, we are not supposed to stop here. Something bad will happen if we stay here. And he has learned to trust me. And we just got back. The second we got back on the road, that disappeared. Only one other time had that happened. And I listened because it's, it's not just fear. It's an all-encompassing like sirens in the aura. And uh, we had been riding our bikes and I got that feeling. I said, don't go down that road. And we turned and looked back and way down the bottom of the road, these two angry looking dogs had just run out in the street mm. and we were right in their path. So low warnings up to about 18 hours, I think I can see things. But after that, life happens, people's human will gets in the way and things are not so predictable. Okay. Well, I was just curious because a lot of people prophesize or predict all kinds of interesting developments for humanity you know you yeah. most of them pretty rosy uh, but perhaps with a whole lot of difficulty between here and there you know in terms of making the transition um so i was just curious if you get any of that no, not that kind of psychic okay okay now here is a rather long question this is another suzanne suzanne from london who asks some so-called enlightened people claim that... Oh, I kind of talked about this at the beginning, but let's see what she has to say. Some so-called enlightened people claim there is no doer, no choice, no free will, that no one really is. 
And this is a very real thing. I run into this all the time, Suzanne. And it's a question that's really I'm chewing on because I'm really trying to come to terms with myself. And that ultimately the mind at large, the divine, is acting through us or as us, that we are the movement in and of consciousness at large, the universal, omnipresent, omniscient consciousness as mind at large. So we're okay with that so far. A scientific study from 2007 led by neuroscientist John Dylan Haynes Max Planck at the Max Planck Institute supports this with the discovery that our conscious awareness of making a choice comes after the fact. That is, true conscious decision is illusory. The deciding factor wasn't inclusive of awareness. Awareness of a choice made comes after a preemptive brain activity already made decision at some point up to 10 seconds after the, this is a little funny in the way it's written, after the scientists observed a brain activity signifying the choice made, the subjects reporting becoming uh, aware of making a choice. They weren't consciously engaged in making it, only in reporting it. What are your thoughts on this? To what extent are we autonomous beings? Do we have a free choice? What is it? How would you define it? Why do the so-called enlightened people claim there isn't a doer? Thank you. I'm just smiling, and you've seen me smiling throughout this question, because you are getting more and more scientific and more and more into the head. And I just go right back to the heart and say, can we just play? Can we just focus on love and make choices? And that's why I say I'm like a puppet on the string. Go ahead, pull my strings if it leads me to be more loving and to enjoy this experience. You know, we're here to get the most out of it. So I really don't get wrapped around the axle about that, Rick. Um, Do you ever speak about whether or not we have free will? Oh, I know we have free will. People are saying we don't. People who argue along the lines of the question I just read are saying, no. That's another level. That's a whole different level of it. I know that I can make a choice right now. I could have made a choice to listen or not listen to that voice that said, don't stop here, something bad will happen. And if I had not listened, and some, well, you know, I make choices all the time. Is that free will or isn't it? At one level of reality, that is free will. Maybe at a different level, that scientific experiment says that it already happened. That's actually beyond my level right now. <laughs> well, well, that's a, that's a good honest admission. Yeah, up yeah, above your pay grade. <laughs> well, I'm kind of running out of questions. What haven't we covered? Anything that you, you really want to mention? No, I think we've covered everything, and I'm really glad you gave me the, the opportunity to share the whole fear thing, just not to be afraid of this, the evil spirits thing. Just be the light. Just be the love and enjoy enjoy every moment that we have here. And, and one thing I haven't said as I say that, try to imagine that you've passed to the other side, and now you realize as you're surrounded by love the missed opportunities you had while you were here to be love. And you look back at the petty things that caused you to separate from the ones you love. And you look back at the things people did that hurt you. And now you understand that hurt people hurt people. Mm -hmm. You see everything from a higher perspective. If you could take that perspective back with you right now and make amends and be that presence of love now, you'll be ahead of the game. I tell people to not wait till you have to come back through a medium to say those things that need to be said, to see what's really important here and now. That will make all the difference in the world. I've had people come to me in a reading, and, and um, a lady came to me. She was 75 years old, and her mother came through from the other side, hanging her head down. And that's my signal. When I see that, I said, oh, your mother's here, and she has an apology, and my client stiffened. So I asked the mother silently, what are you apologizing for? I said, your mother's apologizing. She's showing me cradling you as a baby and throwing you away. Your mother abandoned you as a child. The lady said, yeah, me and my eight brothers and sisters. 
And then I, so I asked mom, what was that all about? Your mother says that was because X, Y, Z. And it ex completely explained the situation. And the woman acknowledged that. I passed along mother's apology. And at the end of the session, the woman said to me, I've carried around anger towards my mother for 75 years. And in one hour, it disappeared. You know, Rick, that's beautiful. But the message here is, that woman carried that stone on her heart when if she had seen it from the higher perspective that her mother gained once she got to the other side, she could have grown more while she was here. She could have been the light and the love while she was here. If we can just shift and have that higher perspective, because we're both at all times without waiting to become a soul, you are that now. Just think how much more love we could bring into the world. That's my message. But, I mean, obviously there's a value in being born as a human being because just having the perspective that we would have on the other side if if that's all there were to it we would just stay on the other side right but exactly uh, but uh, there's some kind of value in coming down here where it's not so conducive to maintaining that perspective and yet yes. try, trying to regain or attain that perspective while embodied on earth yeah so if she if the woman had gotten to the place in her path where she understood that part of our task here is to learn forgiveness, to remember who we are, then that lesson would have been a check in the block, right? She, she wouldn't have to go through 75 years of hell on earth. Mm. You know, my guides have said, this is hell right here, this physical earth. How's that for an eye opener? Or it's heaven. Well, it can be. <laughs> yeah. It can be. If once you make that shift in awareness, right. it's a state of awareness. But they, they give us credit for having the courage to come here and go through this, this experience of duality where there's so many people who have forgotten who we are and stay in that state of forgetfulness. So we're surrounded by different levels of awakening. That makes it very challenging. So it does take courage to come back here. So they, they give us credit for being here. Taking on a tough <laughs> assignment. There must be, I'm sure there are military equivalents to this. <laughs> signing up for the real dangerous, difficult duty. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, thanks. This has been wonderful. I always have this feeling when I'm talking to somebody that it's only a sampling. You know, it's like there's, oh, yeah. there's this huge smorgasbord of, of possibilities and you can't eat it all. You have to just sort yes. of take what you can fit on your plate. <laughs> yes, exactly. and, um, I always sort of wish I could eat it all, allegorically speaking, and, you know, mm -hmm. just make every interview a one-month affair where we just go into everything. But Oh, I, I could tell you stories for hours and hours and hours of the evidence from the other side that would just knock your socks off. Somebody said to me last night as my workshop was starting, he said, when I read your memoir, Messages of Hope, you stated in there that you were having difficulty trusting your abilities, trusting what was going on. Do you still feel that way? And I looked at him and I was so happy to say, no more. I absolutely trust completely spirit and how it works through me and the existence of the greater reality. There is no doubt. And it's that preponderance of the evidence and the daily presence and the love and the transformation that, that has convinced me of that. So everybody just needs to be patient with themselves and to just take this path that we're all on with little baby steps or great big giant leaps, whatever is each person's path, but just love every moment. That's great. And, and since, um, you know, you seem to be readily comfortable with the the fact that you, like all of us, are a work in progress, and you keep oh, yeah. discovering new things and breaking new ground and so on. You know, maybe in a year or two we'll do a second interview, if you like, and, and uh, do kind of like a bring everybody up to date on, on what you have discovered <laughs> in the interview. Whatever unfolds. Yeah. Whatever unfolds. That'd be fun. Yes. 
Thank you. Thank you. So let me make some concluding remarks. I've been speaking with Suzanne Giesman. As always, I'll be linking to her website from her page on batgap.com and also to um, some of her books. And she's written quite a few of them. I think 11 books, you said. So if what we've been talking about appeals to you, check her out. Um, if you want to wait a year and a half, you can have a personal appointment with her. Right? <laughs> but there's all sorts of interesting things in her books and on her website. And as she mentioned, there's that daily email. You can get some a message from Sanaya. So I hope that people have enjoyed this. Thanks for listening or watching, and thanks again to you, Suzanne. Thank you, Rick. Yeah. And Irene. And Irene. Thank you, Irene. And, and your whole um, team. Yeah, we do. And have, our teams. We do have a good team. There's all kinds of interesting people helping with this. And especially we'll, those on the other side. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and next week will be Byron Katie. For those who've heard of Byron Katie, we'll be talking with her. So see you then. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.